This week on Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. But my body needs the undies. Hello and welcome to Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. I'm Brian Morris. I'm Stacey Kulo. And we're both comedians. And a couple. And I've never seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one of Brian's favorite shows. And I've never seen Gilmore Girls, one of Stacey's favorite shows. So we're watching both shows together, all seven seasons, comparing them as we go. And this week we watch season four, episode 16 of both shows, starting with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Who Are You? As well as Gilmore Girls, The Reigning Lorelei. These were both good. Yeah, these were both good episodes. How will we ever decide? Um, rock, paper, scissors? Or we could like talk about it for like an hour. Yeah, let's talk about it, and then do rock, paper, scissors. Okay. So we visited our families. Oh, yeah. We mentioned that we were worried about our flights being delayed and canceled, because that was the case around Christmas time. And both of our flights were delayed. (laughs) Oh, man, it's kind of crazy what happened. The first flight was supposedly on time. As soon as we got to the airport, it was like, by the way, your flight's delayed like three, four hours. You're leaving at like midnight. We were like, no, 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 no. And then we got a text like, just kidding. Yeah. Just an hour. It was like 90 minutes or something. So that was okay. And the flight was pretty empty. Yeah. That went very smoothly. We flew direct to our parents' town. Which we're keeping secret. (laughs) (laughs) Madison, Wisconsin. But on the way home, we get there early. As soon as we get there, it's so early in the morning. I mean, it was like 9 (laughs) a.m. Okay, we had to get up early to get there. <laughs> yeah, okay. And, you know, it was vacation. Anyway, we get there, and they're like, oh, your flight's going to be delayed a couple of hours. And yeah. And we're like, oh, fine, whatever. Like maintenance issue or something. But they weren't saying, like, how long? And then they were like, we'll, we'll call some of you up to reschedule for connecting flights. Yeah, like anyone that had to have a connection in New York, they were prioritizing. So we're like, okay, we'll wait. And then they just stopped calling people up. So eventually Brian went up to see what the deal was. And they're like, oh, your flight's been canceled. And I was like, well, it says it's just delayed. Like, no, it's canceled. Don't worry about it. We're going to find you a different flight. Tell you what, we can give you to Atlanta, and then you can have a almost impossible connecting flight time. And Atlanta's just not a very direct way to get to New York, and it's a no. huge, busy airport. We're not going to be able to get food there because the lines are going to be long. Yeah. But also, there's n- no guarantee that that flight out of Atlanta wouldn't get delayed or canceled, and then we're stuck in Atlanta. Exactly. We could opt to take a later flight from this Madison airport, but it wouldn't have left until like 6 p.m. And this was like, you know, 10 or 11 a.m. at this point. So we finally were like, we'll do that. And they seemed very much like, really? Because we didn't want to leave the airport. We could have just like gone to our parents' house, but like our bag was checked. We'd gone through security. We'd already said goodbye to our parents. I definitely would rather sit in an airport all day than like in multiple planes. And then they sort of let us know like, well, actually, they're going to fix the flight you were going to be on. And it's still going to New York. It just doesn't have any passengers on it. Yeah, like the crew or the plane must have needed to get to New York. And they were taking the plane regardless of passengers. And they bumped us to first class because no one was on the plane, mostly. Somehow there is two other people. but It's so confusing because I don't understand why they didn't say to us, like, you could always just wait for this flight. My guess is that flight attendants like to do freaky shit when no one's on the plane. Yeah. Well, it was... A flight with Stacy and I in first class, first time, was awesome. We got free wine, sky wine. Came in a plastic Coke cup. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you're supposed to get seconds, but we asked and we got it. Yeah. There were probably like no ones on this flight and we have a wine allotment. So. Yeah. The snacks were gross. Yeah, the snacks weren't that good. I would have preferred the peasant pretzels <laughs> from the back. Yeah, the fancy graham crackers we got weren't great. But I'm not complaining because the wine was fine. But we had a nice time at home. 
You pulled out your Sarah Michelle Gellar life-size cutout and scared me with it? Yeah, that sounds creepy. Uh, it is true, though. When I was a kid, people knew I loved the show Buffy. So somebody worked at like a Suncoast video and they had a big Buffy cut out for when the DVDs came out. Uh, and I remembered I had it. So I got it out. And yeah, it's pretty scary when you open a door to a room and there's just like a giant person standing in it. Yeah. You kept being like, don't you need to check something in the bedroom? I was like, no, I don't. We are eating right now. <laughs> I need to go in the bedroom. Because I wanted to scare you. And we also went to my small town's downtown and walked around. It was pretty dead. but and cold. It was very cold. We took pictures of all this. We'll post them. Did some comedy in Madison. Yeah? Yeah, that was fun. That's it. Okay. You know what else is fun? Mm. Five star views. Yeah, 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 yeah. We've got three. Thanks so much to Miss Katie EC. Thank you. They say that they would fight anyone who gives this podcast anything other than five stars. We don't make a lot of money doing this, but I'd be willing to hire like a bouncer to make sure that that happens. <laughs> we gotta fly them out to wherever the person was that gave the bad review. <laughs> Just punch them. Listen, we don't make a lot of money, but we can't afford to keep sending one person <laughs> across the globe. Well, now that we know all the airline secrets. Yeah, it's true. Listen, be our bouncer. You'll go first class. Thank you also to April Elizabeth Ooks from Australia and Beth5636 from Canada. Thank you. You know what else happened while we were gone? What's that? We got a wine shipment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were later than we thought, so our cat sitter had to let it in. And our cat loves it. Not the wine, but the box. He does love the box. It's got a little top that he kind of uses a little trap door to crawl in and out of it. He loves it. He loves it. We love it, too. We had one of our favorites again when we watched these episodes. Mm-hmm. And Wink probably has your favorite wine, too. You just don't know it yet. But you can find out what it is by going to the link in our episode description or social media bio. By using our link, you can get your first four bottles for $29.95 plus free shipping. Let us know which one is your favorite. So this week, we started with Buffy. Great episode of Buffy. Just going to say that right now. Whoa, spoilers. Spoilers. It was great. What uh, if I hated it? I feel like you didn't. What? But Stacey, could you please tell us about who are you? This episode is about Faith and Buffy going about their new lives in each other's bodies. Do you follow that, everybody? You may remember the last episode ended on Faith using this little device that the mayor left her to swap bodies with Buffy so she could take over Buffy's life and not be pursued by the cops or the council or whoever anymore. So this one opens with the cops at Buffy's house talking to Joyce and Buffy, in, in quotes, quotes, and Faith, in quotes, is being taken away on a stretcher. The cop is like... Thanks so much for calling. This Faith chick is super dangerous. And Buffy, who is now actually Faith, says she truly is. I'm realizing now this episode might be confusing to talk about because of who people is. Maybe we could refer to the actor's name? We'll see. Yeah. We'll see how it ebbs and flows. Got it. You got it. It's kind of fun, though. You know how after the opening credits, they list all the guest stars over the top of the episode? And it says Eliza Dushku as Buffy instead of as Faith. Yeah. And I must say, throughout, they both do a very good job of playing each other. I thought so. Especially Sarah Michelle Gellar playing Faith. Mm -hmm. Like, she just really nailed her speech patterns and mannerisms. Eliza does a good job, too. We just, I think, get to see Buffy a little more. Mm -hmm. So a bit more to go off of. So after the cops leave, Joyce is talking to what appears to be Buffy, being all like, wow, Faith sucks, right? Why is she like that? And Joyce tells her that she's missed her. And Faith as Buffy is like, I haven't visited, right? I knew it. <laughs> I'm totally Buffy. I know all the details of my own life. <laughs> yeah. And this is in reference to the mail from the last episode, which we were confused about. Yes. So last episode, Faith held up a bunch of mail to prove her point to Joyce that Buffy hadn't been there in a while, and we did not understand what was happening. We made a big thing about it. We thought maybe Buffy had been, like, writing letters instead of calling or stopping by, which doesn't really make any sense. But in this episode, we learn it was Buffy's mail 
that had been accumulating. The confusing issue was that she didn't refer to it as mail. Yeah, Faith said so many letters. And I, I guess I don't know what the term letter necessarily means, but to me a letter is like a personal thing. Yeah, like I wouldn't call the credit card company trying to get you to sign up for something a letter. Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, come to my college, which is like the type of mail Buffy would be getting. Who's writing Buffy a million letters? Her dad, maybe? Yeah. But this was meant to indicate she hadn't stopped by in a while to pick up her mail. Which does make sense. Yeah, but I just don't think that other episode made it clear. So Faith is in Buffy's body. She excuses herself from Joyce to take a bath. She starts checking out her new body. I mean, that's what I do, right? That's like what you gotta do right away. Yeah, probably. Like, do I have all my bits? How are my bits different? She starts trying to figure out her new face. And then she practices some Buffy poses and catchphrases. Most prominently, you can't do that because it's wrong. That's her favorite. I thought this scene was great with Buffy in the mirror. It was like across the spectrum of like tones. Like it was funny, but it was also like super creepy. Yeah, like really eerie. Yeah, but also like sort of insightful a little bit for Faith. Mm -hmm. It was like really well done. Yeah, it was shot kind of cool, just like straight on from in the mirror. Yeah, and like we already said, but like kudos to Sarah Michelle Gellar. I thought she did a great job. Yeah, she had a lot of stuff to do this episode. Willow is with Tara, worrying about Faith. Tara's like, well, you should be safe here at my place since you're too embarrassed to tell anyone about me. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much, right? And Willow's like, no, it's just like they're my group of friends and we all have this history and like slang stuff we do together. And I kind of like having you on the side as something that's just mine. I think she wanted this to be sweet, but it kind of sounds like, no, you're my secret friend. (laughs) It's better that way. Like how you'd pacify your weird neighbor kid you hang out with at home, but you go to the same school and wouldn't want anyone there to know that. Right. And Tara's kind of like, sure, I guess that's cool. But before Willow leaves, Tara's like, I am yours, though. Ooh. How much does Tara know at this point? I think she knows Buffy's the Slayer. It doesn't really make sense to hide stuff from her since she's, like, magic aware. I feel like maybe Willow's just, like, knows she's gay but, like, isn't ready to, like, admit that to her friends. Yeah, and it's unclear if her and Tara have been romantic. Well, I mean, when Tara says, you know, I am yours, it seems very romantic to me. Yeah, but that's maybe the first time they talked about being each other's. I think that line, though, at least tells the viewers, like, they're not just friends, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. That line is like, oh, just in case there was any ambiguity, they are a couple. At least that Tara's interested. Right. Meanwhile, Buffy is not having as fun a time in Faith's body. No. She's at the hospital. They're trying to hold her down and sedate her. She tells them that Faith took her body, but that's obviously nonsense to them. And once they get her sedated, they're going to move her to the police station? I don't know. But they're intercepted by the leather jacket guys from the end of the last episode, who we now officially learn are the Watcher's Council. And they very forcibly remove her from the cop car and put her into a big armored van. Do they kill the cops? Like, they just smash into the cop car with this vehicle and do not stop to make sure they're okay. Yeah, I don't know. The cops don't stop them. Meanwhile, Faith, in Buffy's body, has changed into some silver pleather pants I'm pretty sure I had. She's stolen Buffy's passport and Joyce's credit card and is booking a flight out of the country. Joyce comes in with a message that the gang is assembling at Giles' place, so she goes there. It's funny because she's never met Anya, so she's like, oh, Scooby Gang's all here. Willow, Xander, and everybody. Yeah. (laughs) That's kind of a fun running joke the whole episode, that she is, like, trying to figure out if she should know this person. Right. They've all gathered to talk about Faith, and fake Buffy informs them that she kicked Faith's ass and got her taken away by the cops. 
Giles is like, well, actually, the Watchers Council has her, specifically the division of the Watchers Council that don't give a fuck about morality, and sounds like they're maybe taking her to England? Faith Buffy is just over the moon about this, and Will is all like, yeah, fuck Faith. And Faith is like, ooh, I forgot how much you hate Faith. Tell me more. Yeah, she seemed like it really rubbed her the wrong way. And then she has a little quick fantasy where she stabs Willow. Yeah. Uh, but then <laughs> Is that just, what you meant? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like, to me, it seemed a little bit... <laughs> Anya's like, cool, well, this could have been an email. I'm going to go fuck Xander now. We had this whole candle sex event planned. Yeah, they were going to have a romantic night where they lit some candles and had sex near them. Yep. And Buffy says, well, I'd hate to cut into that seven minutes. That's funny because Faith has had sex with Xander, but also probably pretty out of character for Buffy to say. Yeah, unless she's like mad at Xander. Yeah, Xander's like, what the hell? And Buffy's just kind of like, lighten up, everybody. We beat Faith. Everything's great. And Giles is like, yeah, except for Adam. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, totally. I know all about Adam. I'll go patrol now and take care of all that Adam stuff. But she doesn't. She goes and dances at the bronze, where she literally bumps into Spike, who she does not know. And he's like, are you here to give me a hard time? She's like, do I usually do that? <laughs> yeah. So she figures out he's a vampire, and then kind of out of nowhere, she's like, you know I could fuck you to death in a real hot way that you'd love, using all my secret muscles, but I won't, because it's wrong. This is probably like the most pain Spike has been in. (laughs) Did he can't have sex with Buffy? He can't hurt or have sex with Buffy, and he probably wants to do both right now. Couldn't he have sex with Buffy? I mean, she's she's not going to let him. Not going to let him, right. But he's just kind of like, what the fuck is happening? (laughs) It's just super funny from Spike's perspective, right? You've got this mortal enemy who's suddenly, like, just flirting with him so hard. Yeah, he knows she has a boyfriend. Yeah. And he says as soon as he gets his chip out, they're going to have a confrontation. Does that mean he's going to try to have sex with her? (laughs) And then out of sexual frustration, probably, he just, like, slams some people around, which hurts his head. Oh, poor murderer. He's just trying to get some drinks. Willow has decided she's comfortable being seen in public with Tara and brings her to the bronze. And... Buffy is there? What? You're supposed to be patrolling, Buffy, not chanting chug, chug, chug. But Willow wants to introduce Buffy and Tara, and Buffy's like, shit, another person I've never met? And is relieved to know that that's actually the case. She's never met Tara. Yeah. (laughs) And then Willow leaves them alone to go grab drinks, and Faith Buffy is like, oh, you two are like more than friends, huh? She was, like, so in love with Oz. What happened there? And she's just, like, kind of mean to her. Super mean to her. Yeah, it's, it wasn't nice. And then Willow somehow identifies some random dude as a vampire. I guess he was just a little weird. So Faith eventually realizes this is a hint that she should actually go slay this thing. The woman he was trying to bite is very appreciative. And Faith Buffy's all like, yeah, you're welcome? What is this emotion? She's not used to being appreciated, I guess? Yeah, I guess. At least it's been a long time. Will's like, hey, I'm going to take Tara home since you were such a bitch to her. Are you going to Riley's? And Faith as Buffy is like, yes. Yes, I am. How she figures out where he lives, I do not know. But she goes to Riley's. She shows up acting all sexy. Riley's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. None of this was in the sex handbook. And he mentions that the door is open and that his fantasies don't include a bunch of Marines staring at him. Does that include your boss staring at you? Because that happened. Yeah. Yeah, well, guess what? Your reality is this. <laughs> Heck, that feed might still be live. Who knows who's watching right now? <laughs> Forrest is in there. Yeah. She's like, how do you want to have sex? Pretty much anything's on the table. God, it's very, uh, it reminded me a lot of... Cruel Intentions? Cruel Intentions and... Um, 
Scooby-Doo. And Scooby-Doo, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, was she in anything else? Yeah. Scream 2. <laughs> <laughs> so she's telling him they can do it however he wants. He's like, there's more than one way? <laughs> I only know the way where we do it as nice girl and nice boy. So they do it that way. Just regular romantic sex. We actually don't see it, but it, it seems like they decided to do it regular. Yeah. Meanwhile, Tara and Willow are back at Tara's, and Tara's like, yeah, that's not your friend. Something about the flow and unity of a person's energy, and she says that Buffy's is being fragmented. I know Tara is allegedly a witch and can maybe sense these things, but having just met a person for the first time and not knowing Willow all that well, I'd probably just be like, yeah, Willow, your friend's a bitch. Maybe you're a bad judge of character. Like, that's just a way more likely possibility than body swapping. Yeah, but she said she could, like, see energy shit, so. I know. But Willow believes her immediately, first making sure she didn't sense any hyena energy in there. That was a fun callback. Yeah, deep cut. I love when Buffy does those, like, one-off callbacks. So they decide to do this ritual to take a passage to the nether realm to see where Buffy is. But it's going to be a little tricky. It involves going to the astral plane with Tara being Willow's anchor and basically them having sex. Like, it's a spell, but pretty sure Willow comes. Yeah, I know. It's an intense spell. I kind of want to do this spell a couple times a day. Lots of sweating and panting and moaning. Very sexy. Buffy and Riley have also just finished, and Riley tells her he loves her. Faith Buffy's like, nope, don't love that. That's not how sex works. She's never had nice boy, nice girl sex before, probably. And, like, assumes he must be using her for something. You can't just, like, do it nice. So she sneaks out the next morning while Riley's still sleeping. And Forrest catches her in the lobby and is all like, Hey, quick reminder, I don't like you. I think you're a killer. And Faith takes, like, personal offense to this because I think she's starting to not want to be known as a killer anymore. She's starting to like how she gets treated as Buffy. So she's kind of like, whatever, okay, bye, and runs off to catch her flight. Meanwhile, Buffy, in Faith's body, wakes up in the back of the Watcher Council's van. She tries to tell them she's actually Buffy. She's like, call Giles, he'll tell you. And they're like, nah. And actually, neither Giles nor Buffy works for us anymore, so we don't care about any of them. We've just been told to deliver you, so that's what we're doing. And this other guy spits in her face. They're not nice. They lock her in the back. She starts banging around. One of them is going to go sedate her with something. The Watcher's Council has all kinds of creepy drugs, huh? Yeah, they do. But she manages to take this guy hostage and threatens to kill him. And they're like, yeah, us getting potentially killed is kind of part of it. So if he dies, he dies. Very Ivan Drago. (laughs) She doesn't kill the guy because she's Buffy. Yeah, she kind of like frustratedly throws him away. And then that guy, the whole episode is like, but she could have killed me and didn't. You sign up for this guy. If you die, you die. Yeah, but I also just feel like, yeah, but like an evil faith might also not have killed you. Like, yeah, I don't know. Then she's in there with a dead body. Yeah. That's also not fun. They're having a hard time booking passage to London for some reason, and they get orders to just kill her. But when they go to shoot her, she's ready. She somehow steals their gun with her feet, steals their van, and escapes. She goes to Giles' house. She just kind of walks in, scares the shit out of him, because he thinks she's in England. And a murderer. Yes, he's scared of faith in general. It's not just like, but you're supposed to be in England! <laughs> How the time has changed! Giles, by the way, is bringing a ton of dirty dishes down from his bedroom. What's he eating up there? I mean, should we really say anything about this? I don't eat in my bedroom. Yes, you do. Well, that's because it's also my office. (laughs) But I wouldn't eat in the bedroom if it wasn't my desk. Well, maybe he's got a desk up there. He's got a big old desk in the main room. He's got a bunch of desks. He's a desk man. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So she tries to explain that she's actually Buffy. Face switched their bodies. She does this, like, pinky hair flip thing. I think it's supposed to be a SMG move. I thought that was clever. 
Giles is like inching towards the kitchen the whole time. Mm-hmm. And she's like, stop inching. You're inching. And she says it like Sarah Michelle Gellar would say it. Uh-huh. Like. Yeah, this was like her scene to shine as Sarah. Yeah. She reminds him that she recognized him when he turned into a demon. And that he's a girlfriend named Olivia, and that he's unemployed, and that he had sex with her mom. Specifically that her mom thought he was like a stevedore during sex, and she asks what this, what that means. Yeah. Do you know? No. I looked it up. A stevedore is a person employed or a contractor engaged at a dock to load or unload cargo from ships. Well, having sex with Joyce is like unloading cargo, I guess. And Giles is good at I'm it. Super good at it. Yeah, what, what is this fantasy, Joyce? <laughs> I love that, though. She's like, you want me to go on? He's like, no, no, no. Stop, stop, stop. No, I I really don't. don't. Someone has fell to their death. (laughs) Willow busts in. Real Buffy and Face Body is all ready to explain what happened. And Willow's like, yeah, you're Buffy. You and Face Switch Bodies. I know everything. Keep up. Then she introduces Tara and Buffy for real and explains that they conjured a Katra, which is just switching back. No problem. No big deal. We fixed it. MBD. And I am really glad that this whole body swap thing is contained to just one episode. I think it's, like, too late in the season to introduce that Buffy's just Faith forever now. Right. Like, a whole season of that maybe could be fun. But or a couple episodes, even. Yeah. It's just, like, a huge curveball this late in the game. That being said, this Willow fix seemed way too easy. I See, we disagreed about this because I pointed out that the mayor said to Faith, like, essentially, you're going down without me, but that doesn't mean you can't go out with a bang. Mm-hmm. I've got this spell that you can switch bodies, right? Mm -hmm. But the way he worded it was not like, you can switch bodies and you'll be scot-free. It seemed like, you can switch bodies and it'll be like, you can do like a bunch of fun stuff at the end, but like ultimately you still aren't going to get out of this. Yeah. So in my mind, I feel like this spell isn't that crazy difficult. Sure. And so he was like, we put the spell in this thing so anyone can use it, but like it can be undone and like any real good witch could do it. Yeah. You just need like a general reversal spell. Yeah. If you guys don't remember, that was a dumbass thing from another Buffy episode <laughs> where they used a general reversal spell. The phone rings. It's Xander letting them know to turn on the TV. <laughs> That's what he does now, I <laughs> this guess. It's like the third time recently that Xander has told them to turn on the news. It's like the writer's room is like, what can we give Xander? Yeah, they have a really short list of important things they could think of for Xander to do this season. <laughs> Maybe he turns on the news? He's the guy that watches a lot of TV. That's his thing. The news says some people have been taken hostage in a church by some severely disfigured human-like men, and one person who managed to escape died of severe neck wounds. You think the news would just be like, guys, it's probably vampires, right? That's what I'm saying, because, like, in L.A., there's just demons everywhere. In the show Angel, not just L.A. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was helpful to clarify. In Sunnydale, we're pretending people don't know that there's vampires everywhere. Yeah, but there's like every other day, like, dozen people died, weird neck wounds, no blood. Faith, who's in Buffy's body at the airport, also sees this news report. So I was trying to put this off as long as possible, but Adam's in this episode, I guess. Yeah, that's how I feel about him in just about every episode. <laughs> Earlier in the episode, we see him just waiting for some vampires in their little sewer. And he's got some shit to say about vampires. How they're big pussies for hiding from all the stuff that can kill them, including decapitation. And to prove his point, he just, like, rips the head off of one of them, depending on which shot you're looking at. Yeah, so this episode was obviously not shot to be in widescreen, because there's two instances where it's broken. (laughs) 
Like, one is when Adam rips that vampire's head off and then drops him, and the guy just clearly still has a head. Yeah, this guy falls to the ground, head still on, and then his ripped-off head, like, falls into the shot. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know if it's the aspect ratio, though. It was pretty far in. Well, I, yeah, I, I have to hope that was the case. But the other instance is later, Willow is, like, talking, and she's in the shot, and she's not talking. Yeah. And it's clear they just were putting that over it, thinking she was cropped out. So the vampires just see Adam rip their friend's head off of his body, no problem. And they're like, okay, we can go. This is your house now. He's like, no, I have more vampire thoughts to share. So he just like quick starts a cult. All these vampires are like gathering to listen to him. No questions asked. I mean, yeah, he did just rip the head off your friend. Not everyone can do that. But I feel like Spike would never be like, yep, this guy's my leader now. I mean, Spike might do what the dude says out of fear. Yeah, but maybe Adam just really looked out coming across some real gullible vampires. But these guys are like 100% buying into his pyramid scheme. Yeah. (laughs) They're just like, oh yeah, Adam's the way and the truth. He says he's finally figured out his purpose, which is to extinguish life wherever he finds it. That's, what the fuck? I'm so, uh, we gotta talk about Adam. Okay. So there's so much about Adam as a villain that I don't like. There are a couple things I like, and we'll talk about that when they happen. But in general, the whole thing is like, what is his purpose? He was designed by the initiative, we must guess, to, like, combat evil, right? Yeah, probably to to be, like, a super soldier that fights demons would be my guess. That was probably what he was meant to be. So there's a design flaw in him, so he likes to kill. Okay, I'm fine with that because he's a demon. Maybe he has urges that are innate. That they couldn't have foreseen or something. Sure. But he's like, my purpose is to destroy all life. Why? I mean, then what, though? So Adam's motivation is just sort of bizarre. I feel like they just like couldn't come up with one and this generic I'm going to destroy all life doesn't fit. So he's going to destroy himself? Yeah, like why kill just like an innocent human? That's part of all life. And, but, and I get maybe he enjoys doing that and I don't have a problem with him being like I find pleasure in this. But just like my purpose is to destroy all life. No. Cuz then you're saying you have a purpose, then life must have a purpose. Yeah, I think then we need to know more about, like, what's wrong with life. Like, is he Thanos? Right. There's too many people. It would be better if I killed a lot of them. There was a a line that was cut from this episode that Adam was going to say. He said, you were to be my first, to let them know I'm coming. I am the end of all life, of all magic. I am the war between man and demon. The war that no one can win. You're a part of that now. You have to show me you're ready. What the fuck does that mean? I think it does say he's their first. There's something indicating that they're supposed to be, like, his prophets and, like, tell the people about him that he's coming. But, like, do you want to be the prophet of some guys like, oh, I'm going to destroy all life? I mean, they seem down. Yeah, okay. Because a vampire is life. Or is it not because it's dead? I don't, I don't know. Long story short, this church hostage situation is Adam's new vampire minions doing what they learned from him. So the lead vampire is talking about how he's avoided church for so many years. But for what? It's nice. It's got beautiful windows. Fantastic architecture. What what is this? I'm a little confused because the reason he's not afraid anymore is because God doesn't seem to be there. So, like, how do crosses work? Are they afraid of actual crosses? Are they afraid of crosses because of God? Is Adam his God now, so he's not afraid of the Christian God? Like, why is he not afraid of crosses and God anymore? It doesn't really make sense, but you could argue the guy's insane. Okay. Like, crosses work even if they don't believe in God. However, I could see some vampires being like, God must be real because crosses have an effect on me. Okay. But regardless of a vampire's religion... A cross would hurt him. Right, which is something that changes for vampire lore in different stories. But in Buffy, it's like crosses will hurt a Jewish vampire. They'll hurt an atheist vampire. 
by the very existence of demons, does like the Christian God have to exist in this reality? No, because you could argue that that symbol was just adopted by Christians. Okay. Well, this has been religion. <laughs> Meanwhile, on religion. Riley has shown up on the scene, dressed in a suit. I'm thinking, what? He's like a detective now? But no, he's just there because he was coming to church. Yeah, it was really funny. <laughs> of course he was. Oh, what a sweet boy. Well, now that he's had missionary sex. He yeah, has to I go know. To Your long night of very regular lovemaking made you oversleep and be late, though, Riley. That's a little naughty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He runs into Faith and Buffy's body outside of the church. So he thinks it's Buffy. She's just left the airport and she's going to go in and handle the vampires because that's what Buffy would do. She goes in, she tells the vampires that they're not going to kill all these people because it's wrong. But she doesn't say it like that. Like, she actually means it now. She knows she's got to save these innocent people from these vampires because that's, I guess, like her calling and she's remembered that it's bad to kill people. Yeah, I mean, I think she's like starting to have some self-reflection. Mm-hmm. She killed vampires and demons, I think, for the fun before. I don't know that it was ever because it was wrong, you know? Yeah. Like she killed vampires because she got off on it. Yeah. She got off on the power and also it like made her horny and stuff, so. And now she's getting off on thank yous. Yeah. <laughs> She throws one of them across the room, so they realize she's the Slayer. The one and only, she says. See, she doesn't realize that real Buffy has escaped. Meanwhile, Giles, Willow, Tara, and real Buffy show up to the church in the stolen council van. Is this Giles' new car? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it? No. <laughs> it's the first thing I've seen him drive. Like the, the van that just hit a cop car the night before? It's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not descript. No one will know. This cop is like, you gotta get out of here. This is a crime scene, see? This is how all cops talk in our universe. And Willow's like, you gotta let us in. You don't understand. Without moving her mouth, as Brian said. Mm -hmm. And the cop's just not having it. So Giles just starts acting like a crazy person, flapping his arms around, saying their families and mothers and tiny, tiny babies are in there. They did that so Buffy could sneak in in Faith's body. Not sneak into Faith's body. But sneak past the cop? Yeah, so that she could sneak into her body. Hmm. Hmm. Speaking of sneaking... The church people start sneaking out. One of the vampires tries to sneak outside and runs into Riley, who just, like, pushes him out into the sun. Real Buffy, in Faith's body, sees this and, like, goes to hug Riley. He's like, uh, what? Who are you? Stop it. And inside, the main vampire, still fighting the real Faith, he says he has strength she couldn't dream of, and then Adam has shown him the way. And he's about to say that there's nothing that can stop him, but then Real Buffy just, like, dusts him immediately. So that scene is very reminiscent of when Faith saved Buffy from Mr. Trick. But this time it's Buffy in Faith's body, but it's the same thing that happened with Trick. It's confusing. Yeah. So then the two of them fight. Faith, the person, while punching the shit out of Faith's body, tells her that she's nothing but a disgusting, murderous bitch. So this is clearly her, like, being frustrated with what she's become. Yeah. And, like, doesn't like seeing the old her. Yeah, I mean, it's like she's not fighting Buffy. She's fighting herself. Mm -hmm. But real Buffy uses a little thing that Willow conjured, and they switch back. Faith just gets up and immediately runs out of the church. Later, Buffy's at Riley's, and it comes out that Riley slept with Faith while she was in Buffy's body. Buffy doesn't like this. It's so complicated. Like, I totally get why Buffy would feel weirded out by this. It's not the first time that Faith's tried to steal her man, and this time she kind of got away with it. But you can't really blame Riley. Right. So I guess we'll see how they handle it, but I don't know. No one really did anything wrong except maybe Faith. Yeah, I could see what it's also probably frustrating for Buffy. Like, you know, she's only had sex a couple times. Yeah. And Faith is like probably real good at it. Yeah. And so she's probably like, am I never going to live up to that? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. 
Bubby says she doesn't think Faith is coming back. And it ends with Faith riding away in the back of some, like, cattle truck. And that's it. And she looks pretty sad. Yeah, she looks really sad. Couple questions. Is this going to be something we deal with? So the council seems to have some real lax rules in certain departments. Mm-hmm. Honestly, kind of in all departments. Yeah. Not lax rules, but like loose morals. Mm-hmm. So a slayer can only be activated when one dies. Right. And currently, they have two rogue slayers. Yeah. One more so than the other. But since they have at least a couple dudes willing to kill a bitch, wouldn't it make sense for them to off one or two of these slayers and get one or two new ones they could control? Well, what I will say is that I don't think the Slayer line is currently through Buffy. You think it's through Faith. I think you've said this. Yeah. So if they killed Buffy, Buffy, they're just down a Slayer. Right now, they have an extra Slayer. They don't have control over her. But, like, the world's better with an extra Slayer, probably. But Faith, you're right. I think they were like, we're going to take her in and, like, debrief her and then decide what to do with her. But when that became difficult, they're like, let's just get a new Slayer. That's why they were going to kill her. Yeah. Okay. So you don't think them killing Buffy would make a new slayer? I no. don't know that the show has told me that, but you probably... And I don't know that the show ever does. Okay. But I feel like that's the consensus in the community. Yeah. Interesting. That, that's it for questions. Do you think this was a good episode? Yeah. That was a great episode. It was funny. So much humor from the body switch. Like Faith not knowing Anya or like just Giles being funny around Faith when it's Buffy. So many funny moments, but also, like, I don't know, it had, like, a lot of depth to it. Like Depth? F- depth. Depth. Like, Faith just, like, struggling with her own identity, mm-hmm. but also, like, kind of not liking who she was. Mm-hmm. And I think that not being in her own body gave her the opportunity to examine herself from afar. And I, I thought they did a great job with that. Yeah. And I thought both actresses did a great job mirroring each other's mannerisms and stuff. Mm-hmm. And... Obviously, the Adam stuff is dumb, but honestly, that's just all a MacGuffin. I mean, it could have been any monster of the week. They just wanted to tie it into the main story. Yeah, it was really dumb. It could have been just a rando vampire attack. They just wanted us to remember, hey guys, Adam is the main guy. He's around. He's doing stuff. He's bad. Don't forget. So the Adam stuff's dumb, but I thought the other stuff was like real, real good. Yeah, and it felt like a kind of a special episode. Like we're trying to do something here. And I almost feel like Buffy learned a little bit, too. Like, when that guy spit in her face, that council guy was so mad at Buffy when she was in Faith's body because, like, Faith had made the Watcher's Council into a joke or a perversion or something. And just, like, that hatred getting spit in her face, I feel like she was like, oh, is this what, like, Faith feels like? Yeah, yeah. Probably also Buffy learned some shit about the council she didn't know. Yeah. Which is not really addressed. So I loved it. Again, the Adam stuff is like whatever, but overall, I thought it was like a real good episode. What'd you think? Yeah, I agree. I I think there's really nothing wrong with it, and it's very solid all around. All the reasons you said. But yeah, the Adam stuff is very lackluster. But again, that was just a MacGuffin. It was just a reason to have them fight. You know what I mean? Like, it could have been anything. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose they had to have Adam in the episode, but I'm very confused by his logic and these vampires just like falling down in front of him so quickly. Yeah, none of that makes any sense. But I liked it. I'm glad. Should we move on to your favorite show? Yeah, I do want to move on to a special segment. A special segment we like to call Meanwhile Meanwhile on Charmed. Charmed was another popular WB show airing around the same time that neither of us has ever seen. But we're discussing it anyway. Based only on its IMDb summaries. Stacey, what happened on Charmed? Meanwhile on Charmed, Season 4, Episode 16, The Fifth Halloween. Paige becomes convinced Cole is still a demon, while the Source, now inhabiting a human body, plots to get Paige pregnant with his evil spawn. 
Oof. Anytime you're plotting to get someone pregnant with a spawn. Yeah, that's not good. It's it's bad, you know? Yeah. I can't think of a scenario where that's good. I mean, I guess if both of you want to call it a spawn and you're both in on the plot, it's fine. As long as both of you want to call it an evil spawn, then it's fine. Yeah, then it's fine. But I just feel like that's not the case here. Do you think that Cole is still a demon or is Paige just like freaking out over nothing? I think Cole has learned to do some magic and she thinks he's a demon, but it's been like, no, I just learned how to do some magic. Yeah. And it's like kind of dark stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, Paige is like pretty, um, she's doing like light, light magic, uh-huh. magic light. Mm-hmm. You know, she's like levitating bunnies and stuff. Right. Basically kids party shit. So when she sees Cole, like, you know, chanting over a cauldron of blood, she freaks out. But, I mean, it turns out he was just working a blood drive. Yeah. And he's got a faster way of getting getting blood to, to people, which is chanting over a cauldron of blood. Which I could have told you. Yeah. It's a faster way. Yeah. So, yeah, the source has a new body now, and it's a, it's a good body. You thought he was hot, right? I thought he was hot. So hot in this human body. I mean, if you're, like, a evil force, you're probably going to get the hottest body you can find. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not going to go with some run-of-the-mill 5, 6, maybe even a 7 body. You're getting a 10. Plus, I mean, his whole plot to get Paige pregnant with his evil spawn is just to, like, win her over with his physique. Yeah. It's not, like, a master plan. It's just like a... No, he's like, I'm going to go there. I'm a 10. She's going to want to be with a 10. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Seven minutes later, evil spawn. But she saw... This hot man talking to Cole. So she thinks they're in cahoots. Mm -hmm. That's part of it. But they're not. He was just trying to get Paige's number so he could call her and set up a time to impregnate her with his evil spawn. And Cole was like, I don't got time for this. I got this blood drive to run. So he doesn't get the number. So we'll see what happens next time. But I think the source uh, isn't going to drop these plans. No, he really wants to get Paige pregnant with his evil spawn. Yeah. Well, this has been Meanwhile Uncharted. Okay, Brian. Tell us about the reigning Lorelai. So the reigning Lorelai is about Richard's mother, Trix, dying and the repercussions of trying to prepare for her funeral, specifically some repercussions that affect Emily pretty heavily. I'll say. So the episode starts at a Friday night dinner where Emily mentions that her old friend, Sweetie, a.k.a. Melinda, recently passed. Lorelai wants to know the story of how she got the nickname Sweetie. She keeps pressing Emily about this. But Emily insists that Melinda was just sweet and that's where she got the name. But Lorelai won't let it go. She's like, there's got to be a story, and it's got to be cool. So Emily just, like, on the spot invents a hilariously crazy story about how Sweetie got the nickname, how she, like, started off so poor that she and her sisters had to live in a hollowed-out tree trunk. (laughs) And, like, they needed food so badly. One snowy night, she, like, trudged to, like, a candy store and, like, ended up taking over, and that became, like, a famous candy store. I love the detail that the guy sent her home with a bunch of candy and a dill pickle. Yeah. (laughs) What? What is that? It was so funny. Emily's just like riffing the story. And at some point, I was like, did some of this happen? <laughs> it was funny. It's just so out of character for Emily to like humor Lorelai, let alone like improvise an entire story. Yeah, she's so like exasperated at the end. It's like, is that a good enough story for you? <laughs> also in this scene, Richard realizes he's meeting with Jason and a client for golf and lunch during Emily's friend's funeral. So he just sort of like asks Emily, how important is it that he attends her friend's funeral? Meaning he wants to get out of it. Emily just like coldly tells him it isn't important at all. But it is, Brian. Yeah. It's clear that she is bothered. And if you don't remember, in the last episode, it ended. Well, the last episode was about her being upset with Richard. She's upset that like he's got this business and she doesn't have anything. 
and he doesn't seem interested in her life. Yeah. So this episode is obviously going to deal with that, but it throws us a curveball, which I've already mentioned in the synopsis. At Yale, Doyle is grilling Rory about whether her article contained any plagiarism. He's like high strung because the entire journalism community is under a microscope because of people like Jason Blair and Stephen Glass. Those were journalists, by the way, who were caught fabricating stories and sources. I remember in journalism school talking about Jason Blair. It was like a big deal. Just around that time. Yeah, and I remember working uh, on a school paper, and there was this guy who was on the paper who was just, he was awful. Glenn? Uh, yeah, it's not Glenn. And this guy one time, I remember reading a story, and because I was the editor, I was reading all the stories, and I remember reading it being like, God, this sounds familiar. Didn't I read this already? And then I look, and it's like so similar to an article that was in this, like the state paper. Mm. And so I remember calling the guy in and being like, hey, man, like these seem like sort of similar. And then he goes, oh, yeah, I thought you might think that. And I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> He's like, well, yeah, I just, you know, we, we, it just was weird that we ended up writing, like, so similar. I was like, no, dude, you didn't even, like, you just copy-pasted. You didn't even, like, put it in your own words. Is he trying to say he wrote it and then read the other guys and was like, whoa. I- yeah, that's what he was trying to, but it was, like, word for word, and then, like, maybe one little sentence would be a little different, and then word for word for word for word for word. Uh, anyway, that guy's not doing well now. Uh, he had problems, but <laughs> plagiarism's bad. Don't do it, guys. But he's giving her a lot of grief for just, like, using phrases like herd mentality or, like, rain-soaked highway. Mm-hmm. He's, he reminded me a lot of Paris in this scene. Hmm. Yeah. I know that they're going to date. What? Someone spoiled that for me. Get out of here. They're not going to? She's got a boyfriend. You're right. That's stopped her before. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I guess she won't. <laughs> Meanwhile, at Suki's place... That's not what I have written here. I have at Cookie's Place, <laughs> which works. Meanwhile, Cookie's, uh, Lorelai and Cookie and Michelle <laughs> are having an in-meeting. Uh, it's a pretty funny scene because Michelle is like, gotta watch some of this dog show. He's obsessed with chow puppies. He loves them. He's like baby talking them on the screen about how beautiful they are. He's been obsessed, if you don't remember, ever since he adopted some chow puppies from uh, someone at the inn. The child puppies. I thought he was saying child puppies until I turned on the captions. It still sounds like he's saying child puppies. It's very cute, but while they're there, Emily calls with some sober news. Trix has died. Richard's inconsolable, and he's demanding turtleneck soup, which was a soup from his childhood. Suki overhears this and is like, oh, maybe you mean mock turtle soup? I could make that for you. So Lorelai's like, I can help save the day. I will get this soup to dad. ASA possible. Michelle gives Lorelai a hug. It's kind of nice because Michelle is all like, don't worry, I'll take care of stuff. He's actually being nice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He offers her a hug. She turns it down. And then she's like, okay, I'll take that hug. And then they hug and they're both like, uh, that was nice in that it was heart in the right place, but let's never do that again. <laughs> yeah. Not both for of them are like, I hated it. A couple things about the scene. Emily says the grand died of a heart attack. And when Lorelai hears that, she's like, oh, I didn't know her heart was a thing. But wasn't she not well? Wasn't she, like, moving here from England because her health wasn't the best? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I don't know if she's ever specifically said her heart, but I, I don't know. It shouldn't seem, like, shocking. Right. Other thing is when Lorelai's trying to get her mom to figure out the soup, she's like, can you Google it, mom? And Emily's just like, can I? Can I Google it? I love that Emily is, like, hates the internet. Yeah. <laughs> it is like, you could just Google that, and then it would solve your problem. We've never had turtle soup, but we should try it sometime. My parents told us all about it when we were home. It sounds like chicken soup with hard chicken. <laughs> <laughs> what I've read online is that it's it's like chickeny, but it's more like 
steak texture. Yeah. I'm interested in trying it. My parents, by the way, were talking about actual turtle soup. I don't know what mock turtle soup is. I would imagine it's just turtle soup with chicken. Yeah. And they that's what I would get. Which sounds like what turtle soup is. With yeah. Shitty chicken. <laughs> Lorelai brings her dad the mock turtle soup, and he is a mess. He is disheveled as fuck on the couch. I mean disheveled, like his shirt's untucked. I've never seen Richard with a shirt untucked. It's it's unsettling. He's not wearing shoes? He's not wearing shoes. His hair is just not combed. It's 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 crazy. And he's also like drinking scotch, and he just starts crying when Lorelai mentions the soup. He's a mess. He still has his mustache, though. Richard just starts talking about how amazing Trix was. Like, he obviously, we know this, but he, like, loved his mother. He's very close with her. Uh, and he goes on to say that, like, he learned everything from her. She said to him and taught him that life is a battle and you either enter armed or you surrender immediately. On his 10th birthday. Yep, that's just what you tell your 10-year-old. Here's your cake. Life's a battle, boy. <laughs> but Richard's main thing, the reason he's so upset, obviously he's upset because his mother died. But he's also additionally double upset because their last interaction was a big fight. Because if you remember a couple episodes ago, he essentially kicked her out. He was like, let me get a chair for you when she was leaving. And like raised his voice and yelled at her. And now he feels terrible that that was their last interaction. Lorelai assures him that like, you know, this one small fight doesn't erase their like years of good relationship. But, you know, he's inconsolable at that moment. He also says, you only have one set of parents, Lorelai. And I forgot that. I thought that was interesting. You could tell that like resonated with her. Like, oh shit, my relationship with my parents isn't yes. great. What if they die? Yeah. When he said that, though, it was a little weird, I felt like, because it was like, you're talking about yourself. Yeah, yeah. And I know you mean it from a good place, but it's still weird. I don't even know that he realized it was weird because he's like drunk and yeah. upset. Meanwhile, Emily is left to make all the very complicated and outdated funeral arrangements that Trix left for her funeral. She made them like 20 years ago. So just about all the important people, like the florists and the priests, they're all dead or retired. So she's like struggling to track them down or find suitable replacements. Trix's funeral requests are like super specific too. Like she wants to have an open casket at her funeral wearing fresh clothing, whatever the hell that means. And she wants to be cremated afterwards and then have her ashes separated into two. Half the ashes buried with her husband and half the ashes put on the Gilmore Mantle place where she can then judge Emily forever. The judge Emily forever is probably not in the will, but that's how Emily sees it. It's implied. Yeah. Emily isn't enthused about this, but she is working her tail off to get all this stuff done because obviously Richard can't do any of it. Lorelai offers to help and Emily refuses, but then she sort of like implies that she could use her help with some documents. And Lorelai picks up on that. It's like, I'm bringing you Danishes. So the next day she shows up to help uh, sort some papers and documents, I guess in Trix's basement or storage space. I don't know where that is. Yeah, I think it's at her house. Yeah. When they're going through the papers, there's kind of like a fun bit where Emily just keeps having Lorelai hand her the papers that Lorelai finds. And Lorelai's like frustrated. She's like, you know, I want to be able to help more than hand you papers. If you just like tell me your system, I'll help you. And Emily's like, no, I have a system. And then later Lorelai does the exact same thing to Rory. Yeah. It's fun. While they're working together, Emily mentions Richard's cousin Marilyn and how she keeps stealing family heirlooms every time she visits. So Emily is like stashing certain items she plans to hand down to Lorelai someday. That'll come back. That was a fun moment. She's like, oh, we, Dad's family's got a Winona? Like Winona Ryder. While they're going through Trix's things, Emily finds a carbon copy of a letter Trix sent Richard. By the way, I carbon copies of letters. Did anyone ever do that? What? I don't even know how that's possible unless you have that kind of paper that makes it itself. It just feels like a weird thing to write like a personal letter on. I but, think they kind of addressed that it's weird. Yes. 
They suggest that it might have been intentional and that Trix wanted Emily to find this. Yeah, that's like barely dwelled on, but it's thrown out there that that's a possibility. And I don't know, if she doesn't have a ton of other carbon copied letters, I would imagine that that's true. Yeah. But anyway, let's get to this letter. What does the letter say, Brian? Juicy, juicy letter. The letter was sent the day before Richard and Emily's wedding. And in it, Trix begs Richard not to marry Emily. Essentially asks him to leave Emily at the altar. Trix writes that Penelon Lott was a much better choice than Emily. And Emily cannot make him happy and simply isn't a Gilmore. She doesn't have the stamina to be a Gilmore. I guess stamina is a big Gilmore trait. She's also not a Gilmore. (laughs) Yes, that's true. Which is who Gilmore's... We'll get to that in a minute. (laughs) Obviously, this is absolutely devastating to Emily. She decides that she's not going to do any more planning for Trix's funeral and just like walks away saying she's going to go get a drink. And I don't blame her. Why should you do any of this shit? It'd be really hard to want to help more in that moment. I mean, I would have to be like, does the will say I have to? Because if it doesn't, fuck her. I mean, she's only doing it because Richard is incapacitated right now. Yeah. And it's her way to like do stuff like this. That's what she does. Right. But I think she's doing it out of like a sense of duty to Richard. Yeah, absolutely. now that she knows Trix hated her more than she even knew. Yep. And she's kind of overdoing shit for Richard in general. Yeah. She's got no more reason to help. I don't blame her at all. It reminds me of the letter my mom wrote me about you. Right. Anyway. um, (laughs) Which I will find. (laughs) It's the only carbon copy letter she ever wrote. It was an email, but she printed it. And then made a carbon copy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She printed it on carbon paper. She actually made a bunch of copies and put them all over. Anyway, so (laughs) Lorelai is forced to take over the funeral planning, and Rory offers to help. And this is where that fun callback is to that scene with Emily having a system and Lorelai just adopting what Emily did. Being like, I have a system. Just hand me the papers. There's a lot of kind of fun stuff with Rory here. Early in the episode, Lorelai calls Rory to tell her that Trix is dead. And Rory wants to be helpful. She's like, what can I do? Blah, blah, But then Rory starts being like, I don't actually feel that bad. Like, I, I don't feel sad. I don't feel like I have to cry. I feel like I should cry, but I don't feel like I have to cry. And then she starts panicking. She's like, I'm not going to be able to cry. What if I don't cry at the funeral? Then Richard will know. I think this is just the actress being like, I'm really bad at crying. What if I have to cry in this funeral scene? I'm not going to be able to do it. Not believably. Could be. Alexis Bledel is like, can you write it so I don't have to cry? (laughs) Please. Amy, I don't want to cry. I relate, though. She's met this woman like three times. Yeah, I remember going to a funeral for a classmate that died that I didn't really know and being like trying to force myself to cry. Just kind of was like, that's what you should do, right? Yeah. I had one great grandparent alive in my lifetime and we saw him like once or twice a year, but I don't know that he... Would have known me if he saw me. Yeah. Like Actually, one time I went, I saw him in the grocery store when I was like eight or nine. And I went up to him. I was like, hi. And he just kind of looked at me like, why is this kid talking to me? And he said that. And then he kind of, like, like, pushed I had, you away by your forehead. <laughs> I had like a T-ball shirt on. And he just started like reading what was on the shirt as if that would be like a clue somehow to figure out why this <laughs> child <laughs> T-ball team. The maybe, Hornets. Maybe he knew me. Who is this child? Um, but yeah, he he died, so it, it wasn't particularly sad because I didn't really have a connection with this man. But another fun thing is that Lorelai learns from Emily that Trix's maiden name is Gilmore. Ew. Because she married her cousin. Which she's kind of implied in the past that they like to keep things pure. Yeah. Is Penelon Lott a cousin? Ideally. We'll find out. So, like, now Lorelai and Rory are just, like, freaked out that they have some, like, yet-to-present-itself genetic defects. It would be a little weird, maybe, to find that out. 
Like, obviously, they're genetically predisposed to uh, not have any effects of caffeine. Mm-hmm. Rory uh, does offer to help by rewriting Trix's obituary. Richard earlier was just livid because the obituary that the paper had written for Trix didn't mention any of her cherry work and specifically didn't mention she was a saint. It was kind of a funny scene because Emily's like, we'll take care of it. We'll mention that she was a saint. And he's like, you sure? <laughs> You'll say she's a saint? <laughs> Okay. <laughs> but also, in my experience, having a bunch of grandparents die, you write your own damn obituary. Like, maybe you don't physically write it, but you, like, give them the things for the Mad Lib. Yeah. It's not the paper's job to, like, Google you. Yeah. If the writer's anything like Emily, they're not going to Google anybody. Yeah. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe for, like, prominent people or, like, bigger town papers. I feel like people write their own. I, I'm pretty sure, like, in my small town, the funeral home, like makes the obituary and, make, mm. and, like, sends it to the paper based on information from the family. Yeah. I don't know. Like, my grandma died, like, a year ago, and my mom, I'm pretty sure, like, basically wrote it. I mean, obviously, Richard's not doing shit right now, but, like, I don't know that it's the paper's fault. Well, I mean, I think Richard is just overreacting. Yes. But Rory's going to take care of it. Yeah. Uh, of course, knowing Rory and being a journalist, she's probably just going to copy someone else's obituary. <laughs> this seems a lot like a different obituary. I knew you were going to say this seemed familiar. Actually, there's a scene later where Rory is working on the obituary, and she actually learns a lot of kind of cool things about tricks that she, like, did do a bunch of charity work, and, like, she helped a bunch of wounded soldiers, and she's met three presidents and, like, maybe could tell Nixon was dirty. But while she's working on the obituary, on her school paper's computer, Doyle notices that she's doing personal stuff on it and starts to chew her out. But then Rory's like, no, I I have to write an obituary for my grandmother. She just died, and we were super close, and I'm super broken up about it. And then Doyle, like, on a dime flips and gets so sympathetic because he just had a grandmother die that he was super close to, and he's still not over it. And it's, like, so bad he had to dump a girl because she was a barista, and she reminded him of his grandmother who smelled a little bit like coffee. This is a lot of weird shit. Like, she drove him to his prom. (laughs) Yeah. What is their relationship? But then Rory just, like, feels bad after Doyle starts, like, just, like, gushing all this stuff about his grandmother. And she's like, okay, I didn't mention that she's my great-grandmother, and we weren't that close. I feel bad. And Doyle's still like, it's okay. You should write about your grandmother. And the best part about this scene, though, is that Glenn is there. And Glenn is like, what? (laughs) (laughs) It's the what is so fun. I can't describe it. It's just like, What? Yeah. Glenn was talking earlier about how Doyle is just like every month picks someone to be the person he just like shits all over and gets mad at to be the punching bag. And like he was like, oh, it's Rory's turn, right? Yeah, because it's normally Glenn. And then when Doyle's like, you know, go ahead, write about your grandmother. And then he's like, it's her great grandmother. Didn't you just hear her? (laughs) So funny. Glenn is funny. I like Glenn. Yeah, because he's just watching this whole thing. Being like, what? How is Rory? Like, Glenn is weird. I feel like he's, like, too weird sometimes. But, like, I don't know. It was really funny in this scene. Yeah, this scene was great. It was so funny. Like, Doyle just, like, flipping and, like, sitting down to, like, be sad. And then Rory breaking the tension. Yeah, it was so funny. Loved it. So later, Lorelai and Suki go to visit Emily to prepare for the wake. And immediately you can tell uh, something's a little off. There are, like, condolence flowers everywhere, just, like, piled up by the front door. That means that Emily is uh, not taking care of them, or uh, Max Medina just proposed to Emily, either one. Hmm. But then we see Emily, and we can see that she is out to lunch, metaphorically. Emily is just, like, in a nightgown, smoking and drinking on the couch, just casually reading her book club book. The smoking is over the top. Yeah. 
Yeah, she like offers Suki cigarettes, and Suki's like, no, I, I don't want any. And she's like, well then, more for me, and then puffs out a big smoke. <laughs> I love too when Suki's like, I'm so sorry about Gran. She's like, are you? Huh. <laughs> <laughs> Lorelai tries to stress her mom that there's still like a lot to prepare for, and Emily just says like, well then why don't we ask Pendle and Lot to do it? What would Pendle and Lot want to serve at the wake? She just keeps bringing up Pendle and Lot. It's all super funny. She said we could put cheese cubes in her coffin and just let people go to town. Well, cheese cubes in her coffin and then toothpicks in her mouth. <laughs> oh, it's super funny. And then at some point, Jason shows up to get Richard to sign some work papers. And Richard just, like, answers him at the study door, just, like, you know, disheveled, looking a mess, and just starts hug-crying Jason. It's so, he just, like, envelops him in his sadness. Yeah. And poor Jason is just clearly like, uh, no. He looks like a cat that doesn't want to be held. Afterwards, Jason was like, did you see that hug? It was so long. And he was in a robe. Lorelai's like, yeah, I guess we're a robe family now. But yeah, Emily's uh, drinking a lot. Yeah. She's going to freshen up her drink, and Lorelai's like, your drink's fresh enough. But she she helps herself to more. Penalin lot. But meanwhile, storyline B is Luke is having some issues with Nicole. Earlier in the episode, Lorelai stops by Luke's, and she notices that he's outside on a park bench fighting with Nicole. There's a fun scene with Kirk where he keeps asking Lane, who is working at Luke's, were my eggs made in a fish pan or made near a fish pan? They feel like they're made in a fish pan. And Lane's like, no, 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 they're not, no. There's like a funny part, too, where Kirk says he can read lips. Yeah, he says he learned how so that him and his girlfriend can have quiet time and keep the conversation going at the same time. (laughs) Yeah, but he can't. He's just like interpreting everything they say is nonsense. Right. And Which is like uh, classic Kirk. But then he sits down and Lane's like, hey, you were right about the fish... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and he's like, I don't know why everyone thinks I'm crazy. I thought that was kind of fun. Yeah, that was a great scene. But this problem persists throughout the episode. Later at Luke's, the entire diner is like silently and intently listening as Luke and Nicole fight upstairs. They're having a loud screaming match. Ms. Patty stops by and everyone's like, shh. And when Luke comes down and just starts angrily taking orders, everyone goes back to pretending like they weren't listening. And Miss Patty stumbles when he asks if she wants bread or crackers. And Kirk is like, get the crackers, get the crackers. <laughs> but then Nicole comes down and says essentially that he just sort of walked away in the middle of their fight. He just decided they were done fighting, but they weren't. She was in the middle of a sentence. So Luke takes her outside. But neither of them, I guess, have anything more to say. She starts to leave. And Luke says, are you going back to our place? And she says, our place. Hmm. Funny. Because he doesn't spend a lot of time there, it seems. Yeah, what was... I I hate this Nicole-Luke storyline. I I think it's so dumb. Just because we don't know what's happening. Maybe there'll be this, like, grand explanation at the end of the season. But as of right now, I'm just like, what? Okay, so you don't live there? Like, are you dating her? Are you... What's happening? At least they, like, put her in some episodes. There was a long time where they didn't show her. But that's what I'm saying. Like, there was just so much time where we're like, are they together? They're never together. Yeah. And they're like, no, he's living there. He's insisting he's living there. Oh, maybe he's not. Who knows? Like, I, I don't I don't know. I think they just needed to give him a reason to not be able to go after Lorelai. Well, they need to give us a reason to care. Yeah. Like, I'm like, Nicole, you're not going to stay in the show. I don't care about you. Yeah. No offense, actress. You're great. Just, your character is just barely on the page. I like her hair. Okay. <laughs> On the day of the funeral, things are not getting better at the Gilmore household. Richard is still out of sorts, so much so that he can't even tie his own bow and doesn't realize he isn't wearing shoes. He wears a bow tie all the time. How does he not know how to tie a tie? You assume Emily can help him, but he must know how. Yeah. And Emily is still in her nightgown slash robe. The show suggests it's a robe. It looks like a nightgown to me. I'd have to look at it again. But she's still in non-funeral clothes. Yeah, this is not what she should be wearing. Yeah. 
Lorelai and Rory start to wrangle them and get them on track and ready when Lorelai realizes that she forgot to get underwear for Trix's body. She got fresh clothes, but not fresh underwear. Rory points out that this doesn't matter. Like, who's going to know? And Lorelai's like, I'll know. I I would probably always feel a little guilty if I buried my grandma in no underwear. I mean, I don't know that I would just because I'd be like, why? It doesn't matter. Yeah, it might be kind of funny. Might be, but like, even if I got buried and I didn't have underwear, I wouldn't be like, I can't believe you did that. Well, because you'd be dead. No, but like, if I had some kind of spirit that could see, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be like, but my body needs the undies. But Trix's might not feel that way. Yeah, that's true. So she heads to the store where she absolutely weirds out a poor little worker. Yeah, Lorelai hasn't like really grieved this whole episode and she just right. kind of let everything out on this clerk. Yeah. This is kind of weird. She just, like, basically rehashes all the shit she's been going through with her mom in this episode. Yeah. And it was weird to just put this on the store lady. But I did ultimately think it was really funny when she just, like, ends her rant and is like, uh, I'll just take this and just grabs a random piece of underwear. Yeah, but I also love just the reactions from the store clerk that's mm-hmm. like, huh, what, okay. <laughs> but also, Lorelai just makes this huge scene at a mall, just like her mother. Interesting. So, you know, it is genetic, I guess. There's a nice scene of Rory helping Richard tie his bow tie, though, which I liked. It is nice. She printed out this diagram from the fabled internet. She mentions to him, because, you know, he's so out of sorts, that she notices he's supposed to do the eulogy, but she'd be happy to do it for him because she did read all kinds of stuff about tricks when she was writing the obituary, so she'd be happy to help. And Richard's like, no, it's my my duty, but maybe if I get too emotional, it'd be nice if you could step in. And then later at the funeral, Rory goes up to him and was like, no, you did a great eulogy. And, you know, he thanks her. And when she leaves, Richard mentions to some other guests at the funeral that, like, Rory is just absolutely lovely inside and out. And I just I just love their relationship. Mm-hmm. It, like, nothing really happened. She just offered to help him with something, and he didn't need it. But it, I don't know. It was just, like, something about their relationship is so good. I love them together. Yeah, yeah. They do a good job with that. They respect each other. They get each other. I love it. Conversely, it's very funny when Lorelai returns home with the underwear. Emily has sobered up a bit and she's yeah. dressed and she's like, Did you go shopping? I've been sitting here waiting for you. Did you go shopping? <laughs> As if, like, fuck Lorelai for doing everything. Yeah. It was weird though. Richard, like, introduced Rory to these people and she's like, Oh, nice to meet you. I'm going to leave. Yeah. <laughs> she, like, left to go grab us. It just felt rude. And the same time, these people, by the way, were uh, from the hospital wing that Trix donated to the hospital. Mm. I do want to say some of this episode, we learn a lot about Trix. Like, Trix is a mean old woman. But, like, Richard isn't totally wrong. Like, she actually has done a lot of good. Yeah. Like, all this charity work and donating a hospital wing. So it's, it's, I kind of like that the show's like, hey, she's not a cartoon. She is, like, mean and she's done terrible, but she also has done good things. So you can see how this character does feel like she's a good person, even though she's super mean to Emily all the time. Right. At the funeral or wake or whatever this event is. Post-funeral. We have a lot of nice little scenes. We find out that Lorelai slipped a Hello Kitty bracelet on Trix's body as a joke for her and Rory. That's fun. She could have just slipped her no underwear. But I just feel like if you're doing that, you might as well not give her underwear. I know. You disrespected her one way or the other. She wasn't going to like that. And we finally meet the thieving cousin, Marilyn, who is played by the same actress who played Trix. Thoughts on this? I don't know. I was fine with it. But it was a little weird. It was almost like, we love this actress, but we need the character to die. Yeah, it's weird because the show does this a lot. Yes. Or at least more than once. Yeah. I'm thinking about why they might have done this. Yeah, I think they probably like the actress. It would make sense that she would look similar. But it also was like a vessel to have like a fun family member. 
to like tell more stories about tricks that sort of stood out because yes yeah not Otherwise, just some rando actress. Yeah, if it was just some any random woman at the party, I don't think it would have meant as much. Mm-hmm. And Richard and Emily kind of had their own things going, so we couldn't have gotten the stories from them. Because she was just, like, telling random people a bunch of stories about her. Right. So it was just, like, a way to get more information about tricks and, like, really focus on that and care. Yeah. But I feel like we needed a line being like, wow, Cousin Marilyn really looks a lot like tricks. Yeah. She plays a much different character. Yeah. I don't hate it, but... I think, it was a choice that you kind of think about a little bit. And I think they probably did think about it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like you said, she tells a bunch of stories about Trix. She jumped on a camel? Yeah. She also tells Lorelai that Trix had a prominently placed picture of Lorelai in her entryway. That when people came over, she would point to it and say, That's my granddaughter, Lorelai. She's not married. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or like, I, she's doing it herself or like, fuck my granddaughter. I think she's trying to say, please marry her. Yeah, I guess. But Lorelai's like... Cool. <laughs> Love that. Yeah. But then she starts asking, like, where some of those items are that Emily clearly hid from her. Yeah. She's like, have you seen these glasses? I just want to see them. There's also a fun scene where this, like, ancient priest uh, is confused because Trix's name is Lorelai. So when Lorelai introduces herself to the priest, she's like, didn't I just bury you? <laughs> Super out of sorts. And Marilyn comes over and mentions that, no, this is Lorelai by the same name. In fact, she's the reigning Lorelai. But then she says to the old man who doesn't recognize her that he should recognize her because he married her to her first husband. And then she says to the priest, it'd be easier on all of us if you could just pretend to remember. He's like, yes, that's probably a good idea. It would just be easier if you could pretend it. That was so funny. There's so many little quick scenes. There's also a scene where Rory is talking to a cute boy and Lorelai just like walks past and casually whispers, second cousin. That was very funny. And then Rory excuses herself from the conversation. Emily is sort of back to her normal self. You can tell because she criticizes the shoes Lorelai chose to wear to a funeral. I thought that was nice because Lorelai is like sits down and is nice to her mom. She's like, Mom, don't worry about it. He picked you. And then she's immediately like, I can't believe you wore those shoes. It was just a fun like, nope, our bonding's over. Yeah. We're back to our contentious relationship. Yep. But she's also like back to taking care of Richard, making sure he eats and stuff. Yep. She's sending him drinks, but also sending him appetizers. And Richard is aware of this. At some point, she's fixing his tie, and he mentions that he noticed that people keep bringing him food, and she probably had something to do with that. And then he tells her he's been thinking about his mother's wishes. And despite his mother's specific desire, he thinks her ashes don't really belong in their house, and they belong buried with her husband. And Emily's like, are you sure? And he's like, yeah, I'm sure. And he kisses her hand. And he kisses her hand. And this seems to please Emily quite a bit. She's like, whatever you want, Richard. But obviously, he's like, this is what I want. They seem good. Yeah, and I'm interested about that. So is everything fixed? That's a good question. Because I feel like that it was a nice gesture on Richard's part. And I wonder why he did that. Because I feel like he would absolutely want to honor his mother's wishes. And he doesn't know about Emily finding the letter, to my knowledge. I feel like they would have showed us that confrontation. Yeah, and he doesn't know that Emily doesn't want the ashes there. Mm-hmm. I mean, he can maybe assume Emily hates tricks. And wouldn't like, want that? I feel like the ashes, I understand Emily's perspective. Personally, ashes are just dust, so it wouldn't really bother me. But I, I guess I could understand that. But if like, if you didn't vocalize that to me, I would just be like, oh, I didn't know that you cared my mom's ashes were here. Yeah. The episode ends with Lorelai telling Rory about her being the reigning Lorelai, and they kind of like riff on that. And it's, it's just kind of like a sweet little ending. Yeah, yeah. They mentioned Queen Elizabeth and how... Lorelai will step down instead of being queen forever. It's funny because this show's almost 20 years old and she's still queen. Yeah, right. 
And Marie also says she's scared of horses, which is a true thing we set up like two episodes ago. The show's kind of inconsistent with stuff sometimes, so it's funny when they are consistent. Right. So, Stace, did you think this was a good episode? Yeah, it's a good one. It is a good one. Oof. I don't know, man. They're both good. It's a little weird, the choice to have the same actress. The Luke storyline was kind of meh, but there were really funny moments tied to that Luke storyline. Just some stuff was maybe slightly off, but this this episode's really hidden all over. There's emotional stuff, there's big reveals, there's lots of good jokes. Yeah. The similar thing between these two episodes is two of our actors get to play roles outside of what they normally play. Yeah, Like yeah. Richard and Emily getting to act like drunk and crazy and the two actresses and Buffy getting to swap. Yep. But I, I, it, you can't say this wasn't a great episode. No, it was a great episode. Come on, girls. I don't know that it plucked at my emotional heartstrings too much? No, the only thing that really was emotional, I think, was Richard being vulnerable with Lorelai and Rory. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't a ton of it. But that doesn't mean the episode, not every episode needs that. It was great. It was a great episode. So funny. Gilmore Girls so often has so many funny lines. And this one really did. So which one do you think is better, Brian? We talked about it for an hour or so. It's tough, man, because Buffy, I feel like, to me, there was some emotional stuff in there that I was, was resonating with me. Ah, but I mean, I just like reluctantly want to say Gilmore Girls because I really liked this Buffy a lot. But Gilmore was just like, the writing was just like, bam, 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 joke, 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 joke. And it had some emotional weight to it. Not a lot, but some. So I think I got to go Gilmore. Wow. What are you going? I think I'll go Buffy. Really? Yeah. This feels right. What's happening? I was torn. I'm torn. Because I thought it was a great Buffy, other than that Adam thing. But Right, and that's like the only thing that made me hesitant about Buffy. And Gilmore Girl has some slight negatives, too. But I don't know. It's a close one. I feel feel like since the last episode we each split, let's split on this one, and this block of four is a tie. Well, I mean, don't do that if you don't feel that way. But... Feel like for me, Buffy did have more of like a I don't know, like it, it almost said more. Yeah, it felt like a more I, I want to say it poignant. felt like a poignant episode because it was really like a big moment for a character, and it was just really special. I think what they were trying to do and like the actresses getting to play themselves, and they did such a great job with that. Yeah, but I mean, Gilmore Girls was so good too. Yeah, I was torn. I was thinking of going Buffy. Uh, I was thinking of going Gilmore, but then I just. I, I don't know. We love each other's shows so much, Brian. No, I don't want to cry because I'm not good at it. I think we made the right decision. I think so, too. I'm happy that this block of four, all four, got some love. Mm-hmm. It just sucks that both shows are good. Good job, Joss Sherman Palladino Whedon. We're just making that all his name? <laughs> Did they Amy. get married? Yeah, he married her and took her name, but then stuck his on the end. Yeah, and it sounds like him. If you want to watch along next week, we'll be watching Gilmore Girls Season 4, Episode 17, Girls in Bikinis, Boys Doing the Twist. As well as Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Season 4, Episode 17, Superstar. I think I know what the title of next week's episode is going to be. Yeah. Just based on something I know about Superstar and Uh everything I know about Gilmore Girls. Okay, okay. In the meantime, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the episodes discussed in this podcast. What would you do if you took over someone else's body? Do you think Trix wanted Emily to find the letter? Why did these vampires fall for Adam's bullshit? What's up with Xander in the news? What's up with Doyle and his grandmother? Do you think Giles fucks like a stevedore? Have you ever fucked anyone that fucked like a stevedore? Do you know what a stevedore is? Who writes obituaries? Who? 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 Who?
Let us know. You can reach out by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Gilmore Slayer, where we post interactive questions, comedy sketches, and more. For more non-podcast content, follow us at Brian and Stacy. Brian with a Y, Stacy with an E-Y. And be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, also called Brian and Stacy. We're also now watching and discussing the show Angel, posting weekly video recaps exclusively on our Patreon page. So find us on patreon.com slash Brian and Stacy, where we also host monthly live stream watch parties, post monthly outtakes, and early extended episode previews. And shout out to all of our new patrons, Monica Ruddle, Mini Mish 767 Kyle Lilly, Karen Yu, Nick K, Jesse, Nikki, and Katie Castics. We have a lot of fans named Katie. I guess we do. Besides Patreon, you can also support the podcast by making a donation of your choosing via the link found at the bottom of the episode description in our social media bios. Or by purchasing wine through our partnership with Wink. Or you can support us for free by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And in return, we'll give you a shout-out on an upcoming podcast, and you'll have helped us get discovered by even more Buffy and Gilmore fans. Or send us an email at brianastacyreviews at gmail.com. Do you want to see if we can get on another plane tonight? I want to, yeah. There's just something romantic about being served wine in a Coke cup. Yeah. Something very first class. Buffy.